You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules Today, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease uh, we do have a group called the hot young widows club and um you'll hear stories in there and you're like oh no that one's yeah that one's worse like we all are like oh no <laughs> yours is worse. worse yeah yours is worse <laughs> yeah that's i'll take mine you guys get together frequently we do yeah oh we have meetups God. all over the world now we have widows everywhere men women turns out people are dying all the time and leaving, <laughs> <laughs> leaving behind go figure leaving behind loved ones best club you'll never want to join yes we have t-shirts everyone. I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. My next guest became a widow at just 31 years old. Less than two months before she lost her husband, her father had died of cancer. In the midst of all those tragedies, she suffered a miscarriage. When you ask Nora McInerney about her life, she won't sugarcoat her tragic reality. Despite how uncomfortable and depressing it may seem, that's actually the point. It is uncomfortable, and she wants to live with it. She's the host of the wildly successful podcast, Terrible. Thanks for asking. She's on a mission to help people get real about loss and grief and break through the isolating barriers of of the tragedy that we all face in life, hers more than most, by arguing that it's okay to not be okay, but just to be honest about it. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's beautiful out. So if you don't mind, I'm going to just ask how you're doing just to get past that. And I know you make a big deal about not wanting to have small talk. You want to have big talk, mm-hmm. which is what I want to do as well. But I do have to ask as a clinician, <laughs> that's a lot to go through. It is. It is. I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well right now. So, I mean, today, just alone, I got to walk through New York City on my way here. Mm-hmm. And 
I used to live here a million years ago, and it's like seeing an ex-boyfriend who's like looks different and like still good, but you remember why you broke up. Um, so I don't know. My life is my life is good, and uh, all of these things that you mentioned are still a part of my life. Even if you know you look at me, you probably think that's just a normal thirty-ish, mid-thirties. Still mid-30s. Young 30. Young 30s. Late 20s. Right. Late 20s. Who knows? Ageless woman (laughs) who just seems like she has it mostly together. Um, But all of us, like you pass all these people in New York or wherever you are, and everybody is going through something and you have no idea. What happened when you started being honest with people about the fact that it wasn't okay? Oh, my gosh. My life became so much less lonely. So much less lonely. I had felt as if the only way for me to go through uh, go through widowhood, go through Aaron's death, my dad's death, go through all these things was to be fine or at least present the appearance of being fine. And what you don't realize is by doing that, you are creating this sort of prison of loneliness. So when you ask somebody that you really care about, how are you? And they give you the same answer that they give like the beggar at the grocery store. Yeah. Like they you're not they're not giving you a chance. They're not giving you a chance to be there. And I hadn't given anyone a chance. So while I was boiling with this sort of resentment, honestly, of the people who had loved me and had loved Aaron and just thinking like, where is everyone? I mean, I was I was keeping them at bay by telling them that I was fine, but I also had to tell myself that I was fine. So I remember this conversation with my sister in her car where she said to me, you make it look easy. We all think you're okay. And I looked at her and for the first time out loud said, I'm I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Why would I be okay? It's been a few months, but if you checked my Instagram feed or you saw me out and about, you'd probably think, oh wow, Nora's husband is dead, her dad's dead. She's she lost a she lost a pregnancy. She's doing great. A new <laughs> lipstick. And I would tell you that, that too. Lipstick, right? <laughs> so I don't know, telling telling my siblings that, telling my friends that, I I was like, it was like opening up a whole new life I could actually experience, like my grief, which I had been really avidly trying not to do. You talk about it in your book, it's okay to laugh, crying is cool too, and there's a little rain coming <laughs> into your hands, a big cloud over your head. So when your sister, who obviously your family, who cares mm-hmm. for you, heard this, how, how did... How were they able to help you be less lonely? Or was it more just attitudinal than you realized, you know, everyone's got pain. And mine's probably more discernibly, more definably worse than others. But, you know, I did have 25, 30 years of bliss before that tragedy hit me. Oh, completely. Some people never got that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it did help me put things into, uh, into perspective. And I'd always been, like, very sensitive to the suffering of others. And so, in a way, I did think to myself, and one reason why I was trying to present this facade of fineness, I do have it easy. Like, yes, my husband died. No, he didn't have life insurance because we were young and who needs it? You know, yeah, my dad's dead. And I kind of, when my husband got sick, I was like, well, I'll still have my dad. False. Um, (laughs) Like, yes, I'm 31 and I just quit my job because I couldn't figure out like how to show up to it anymore. But I'm still a 31-year-old like middle-class white woman with a net to catch her. And most people are not. Like most people do not have even like what I had, which was 
Like, no matter what, I was going to be okay-ish. A roof and over your head. I, I would still have a roof over my head, even if I lost my house. Someone else would give me a roof. So well, Why is there a stigma? As you've lived this, which is the ultimate research tool, a stigma that prevents people from talking about their grief. I, you point this out, but I, I always wonder on the show, I see people come into the audience. We have 200 people a day. And I ask them what they do, and they say, I'm doing fine. And I'm thinking I, to myself that there's very little likelihood that your life is as fine as you're making it seem to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that no one wants to be a bummer, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no one wants to bring down uh, the energy in the room. And we also have this sort of um, mythologized idea of what suffering is, right? Which is that it's something to be overcome. And kind of like the faster, the better. Like, we love stories of people who overcome something. We love comebacks. We love... We love a happy ending. Like, we really, really want a happy ending. And you can get there, certainly. Like, you can you can be okay again. Yeah. Um, I think the writer Anne Lamott, I don't know if you've ever read any of her writing, but she says, you're just going to have to learn to dance with the limp. So it's not as if, I hate the phrase moving on. People use that all the time. Like, oh, you're, it's so great you've moved on. Like, you don't move on. You move forward. And all of these experiences, all of your negative experiences, all of your positive experiences— they all add up to who you are, but we want to present the best version of ourselves. And there's something about, you know, even the phrase like, oh, turning your lemons into lemonade. Um, maybe someday, but first you just have a bunch of lemons. Right. You know, like, was it Chrissy Teigen who got like a delivery of like 100 limes from, from her grocery delivery. And you, there's not, she can't make enough pies. Okay. There's just not, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. So it's hard for us to, um, and it's hard, isn't it hard for you to watch people un- be uncomfortable? Of course it is. Yeah. Yet, interestingly, part of it is because I, there are some problems I can help with and some that I can't, and it makes a big difference. So you, you mentioned Lamont's great quote about, you know, learning to dance with a limp. If someone's limping down the road that I know, I ask them why they're limping. They'll tell me, you know, maybe more detail than I want to know, but usually not. You know, I bang my knee and I'll say, oh, I mean, you need a better story than that. Pretend you were in a bar fight. And then we joke about it and we move on. But maybe they have a meniscal tear and you're going to get it fixed. It'll be gone one day or a memory or they'll have a scar mm-hmm. and they'll dance with a limp. But if they're walking down, they're suicidally depressed. And I've had friends who've committed suicide that I've been with 24 hours where they killed themselves. And I had no idea. I mean, none. And I said, Back, as we all do, if any of us who've been through that, and probably most people listening know someone who's taken their own life, mm-hmm. they think, how did I miss that? First of all, you feel hurt they didn't tell you, but then you also think, how did I miss it? I mean, I was right there, and we were talking about everything else. I mean, I could not even come up. Yeah. The things you talked about were such small things, back to your complaint, yeah. and not the big things. Yeah. So I do think it's different between physical problems and emotional problems, although the emotional problems ultimately manifest in physical issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, I'm not a doctor, so there's very little I can do when people have like a physical problem. <laughs> but but, but, but yeah. there is hope. You'll you'll yes. you'll know that. Uh, yeah, you'll have your meniscus surgery. They'll take yeah. your appendix out. You'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a solvable problem is wonderful. And I think that there's like I feel like every time you're presented with um, somebody else's discomfort, you learn about the way that you process things, right? And so, are you the kind of person who is there to compare against somebody where? You know, your your friend says like, oh, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling, you know, I'm having a, a, a hard time finding a job. And you're like, well, I lost my job once. And let me tell you, like, you just want it. Like, there are people who want to do that, you know? Right. And then there are people who want to, like, rush and fix it. There are people right. who want to be like, look, here's what you do. The fathers. Okay? The fathers. Right. Yeah. And then, and then there are people who just will avoid you, like, or who will avoid it completely. And I think by and large, most of us do try to avoid the discomfort of others. And I, and I, it, it's not out of malice at all. So Aaron, Aaron died. We wrote his obituary together. The unintended consequence of that is that it was, it went viral. Yeah. And I got a lot of messages from a lot of people um, from all over the world, not all of whom had dead husbands, although I do have a niche for that. But, <laughs> you know, I got a— You've cornered that market. Got a, got a good market on, like, the <laughs> hot young widows. So um, I, I got all these messages from people who were going through something really difficult, and why were they emailing a total stranger? Yeah. Like, why were they emailing a stranger in the middle of the night? Not because they don't have anyone in their lives, but because they were afraid to make the people in their lives uncomfortable or the people in their lives had stopped asking because— they didn't want to make that person uncomfortable. Like, oh, God, do I bring up your dead dad? Will I remind you of him? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I just think at the root of it all is this um, this need that we all have to just be seen and heard through our difficult thing, to not be rushed through it. And that just means being okay with just being really uncomfortable for even a small amount of time. For, like, sitting with someone's silence, sitting with somebody's tears and just letting them be there without trying to, you know, joke your way through it or without trying to fix it or without trying to compare it. It is hard. It's something that I struggle with all the time. Like, uh, I, How do you break the ice on that? Let, let's say someone has a bad diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You just want to be there for them. So how are you doing? Well, I'm, pr- I'm prying. Kind of dying here. Kind of, kind of dying here. Right? As my dad told one of right. his nurses. Right. Exactly. She was like, I'm so sorry. He was like, don't be, I am. Like, <laughs> uh, humor, as you just mm-hmm. did, right? Yeah. Which can be disarming. I mean, gallows humor works. We do mm-hmm. it in the hospital quite a bit, but it you know, has limitations. Uh, there's the reality that if I ask you, can I help you? I'm not giving you homework to tell me what to do. Right. If I offer to help you, I might be doing something you don't want. Yeah. You know, I'm, hey, I got some socks for you. Let's knit. I got knits, you know. Uh, I got so many socks. So, so how, do you, how do you break the ice there? Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, I guess once you're there, you can sit silently and, yeah. you know, look around awkwardly. Yeah. But, but how do you get into the place where they're comfortable having you near so you actually can help if, they, if you see something mm-hmm. you can do? Okay, so there are two sides to this. One is that if you are the person who is suffering, let's say your, your, your loved one is sick, you're sick, you do have to... Part of the responsibility is yours. Part of the responsibility was ours. And when Aaron was sick, when a person is actively in grief or is actively dying, is actively sick, the, the machine around us kind of knows what to do, right? Yes. Someone rises to the occasion. Yes. Someone sets up a GoFundMe page. Someone sets up a meal train. Somebody's coordinating, like, all of the tasks that you need. But it's afterwards mm-hmm. when things get really quiet. quiet. Because really quiet. And... If you are a person who is feeling super lonely in what you are going through and it's hard for you to pick up a phone and tell somebody, I'm super lonely and very sad and this is very difficult, write it down. Write it down on Facebook and tell people, like, I cannot reply to your text messages because I am not sleeping and I don't know when I get them. Um, I don't know what I need right now. Like, I can't tell you what I need. Part of that is we have to, as the as the suffering person, as the grieving person, our job is to teach people this because even if they've been around a million widows before, they haven't been around you specifically, 
Right. And there's not like some, I wish, I wish that there was some very specific protocol you could follow, but there isn't. So you do need to have like some knowledge of yourself while you're also going through this experience that you've never been through. And if you are a person who's grief adjacent, as I call it, your job is to just do what you can do. Don't go beyond your limits. If you are not a very verbal person, maybe don't try to have a conversation <laughs> about it. Like, maybe if, you're not the person who's going to make them feel better. What if you're not a nice person? Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't come not, by. Yeah, if you're not a nice person, like, send a gift card, okay? <laughs> Everyone can do that. Like, just send something in the mail. But when people are like, what can I do? Like, my answer is like, what can you do? What can you do? If you're not a nice person, I bet you're, you can still rake a, a yard. Yeah. Go do that. Yeah, do something. Just do something. Just do a thing. And also do it in like the quiet time. Six months later, no one's thinking about your dead husband except you. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's probably the best advice that I learned from a professional of mine to give my patients because uh, and their families. Because the patient would, I'm a heart surgeon, so people die sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I tell the, the, the family, you know what? Take mom home. If the father had died. Yeah. Uh, but remember that, you know, the, the, the next couple of weeks are my job to get them to the hospital and he's probably not going to make it. And if he doesn't make it, the next of the rest of your life is your job. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not, a, it's a marathon, it's mm-hmm. not a wind sprint. Yeah. When we come back, we'll talk about what actually happens at the moment of death with Nora. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Help me understand the fear that people have of the grief of and the pain of, of witnessing death and actually dying itself. Yeah. Which, which is worse? I mean, is it, oh. Was your dad, 
Or actually, Aaron, how, how was that? Yeah. How was it? How was the fear for him versus the fear for you? I think that Aaron and I talked about everything. Everything. How, how, how long were you married for again? We were married three years. Yeah. So he was. I mean, technically, he was buried on our. His funeral was on our third wedding anniversary. But, but, yeah. So, but, and we were together for a year before that. Right, okay. So we were so together for four years. Four years total. Okay. We were together for four years, and my parents were together for 40. Oh. So right there, right, you have this automatic comparison of, um, and I will just confess this because I have told my mom since, which is that, you know, I, I did resent my mom. I was like, you had 40 years, like, buck up, you know, yeah. like be grateful for that. And like, how dare I? Because she lost 40 years of history and I lost 40 years of future. What's worse? I don't know. I'll never have to know because you lose what you lose and you don't get to pick it. As far as dying, I am no longer afraid to die. I just am not. I was there when Aaron died and it was like, I think it was more beautiful than having my babies be born. It's so these words are overused, but so like it's so holy. It was like the biggest honor of my life, honestly, was to be there with him in that moment. And the minute that he died, I swear to you, I felt like I understood my space in like the universe and like the meaning of life. It was like ever the everything opened up to me, and I just thought it really is okay. Like this is this is this is how it all works. Like I get it. I get it. And then like two days later, I was like yelling someone at a, yelling at someone in a Target parking lot. But you know, those windows of enlightenment are so small and like you just have to take them when you get them. And people who disappeared when Aaron was really sick, they were just afraid. They were just afraid and they missed out. They really did. Cause I don't know, you don't get to pick when you go, you don't get to pick what takes you, but you can choose how to show up for somebody. And I think they were afraid to be sad. They were afraid that, you know, oh, I don't want to remember him this way. Like, neither do I. And I don't necessarily, when I think of him, I don't think of him sick. I don't, even though that was the majority of our marriage. I think of just like, I just think of him. Take me into the time around his death, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Who was in the room with you? Just us. Just you. Our house had been filled for weeks. He was on hospice for two weeks. It was just always people there, so many casseroles. In Minnesota, we call them hot dish. And hot dish. So, many, so many hot dish. I was like, I, I'm gluten-free. Like, I can't even eat this. It's just like, here's a hot plate of carbs. <laughs> As a doctor, you would not approve no. of literally any of this great food. It's bad. Right. Like, would you like something dense <laughs> and just cheesy, not good for your heart, <laughs> I've heard. Um, and I don't know, there were just so many people. So they're are, all gone. They're all you're, gone. You're I told everyone to leave. Okay. Our baby came in that day. He was almost two. He went to daycare literally at our next, next door neighbor's house. So I would just sort of open the door and be like, "Go, there you go. There you go, buddy. That's and right. she'd wave, pick him up. And Ralph was almost two, and he walked into Aaron's room, or the room where Aaron was, and he was wearing his little overalls, and he got on his tippy toes, and, you know, he's not even two. He, there's so many cords, there's so many, I mean, it's a hospital bed, it's just, and Ralph gets up, and he's, like, rubbing Aaron's face, and he's like, all gone, all done, goodbye. And he just lays down with him, and we all lay down for a while, Then Ralph gets up, gets out of bed, waves goodbye, goes to the front door like he's ready to go to daycare. Right. I walk him over. I come back and, um, yeah, we laid there for hours. 
And then at 2.43, like he just breathed out. And I don't, I'm sure that you've witnessed this too, but it's like your body wants to live when it's 35. <laughs> like yes. your body wants to live even if cancer is making its way through all of your organs and shutting you down. Like your body wants to live and could feel like his body fighting, but I could also feel like just like the peace of his spirit and of his being. And I just knew like the last time he breathed out that he wouldn't breathe in again. It's like that really labored breathing. There's like a rattle to it. They call it the death rattle. Um, Actually, part of that day, like it's just a part of death is very monotonous. And I want people to not feel bad about that. I want people to not feel bad. It's not as if you can carry on like a constant vigil. I was reading a pamphlet about death called Gone From My Sight. Are you familiar with this? No. Highly, highly distributed in hospice. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've updated the design since like 1983. There's a ship on it and it contains this poem about, you know, death is just a ship sailing over the horizon. You're saying goodbye to the ship, but someone on the other side is just seeing it arrive. It's really beautiful, but it also walks you through is this person dying? Because honestly, you don't know. Hospice yes. is truly DIY death. Like, you're like <laughs> they just give you a bunch of drugs. They're very sweet people. They kind of teach teach you what you need to know. But I'm not a nurse. And also, I remember when, while Aaron was dying, I was like, I should be a nurse. And he was like, you should not be a nurse. <laughs> you are like, you have no, you once threw up when they took my blood. I'm like, that was, <laughs> yeah, I did. Like, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I'll be a nurse who doesn't touch blood, okay? Right. You don't touch patients. Yeah. I'm just there for, like, the experience and also just bring some energy to the room. Right. So I was reading a—part of it, I was reading a pamphlet, okay? I was reading a pamphlet <laughs> being like, is this death? Do we know? I don't know. Like, he's breathing in a certain way. Sure. Uh, I don't know. Like, you just can't tell. D- you just can't tell. DIY <laughs> like, death. So, but the, uh, we, yeah. you, you touched on something that I've noticed in my own life mm-hmm. when I've seen death, that there's an, a a subtlety to, and it, it's, it doesn't, didn't hit, doesn't hit me hard because I've seen it mm-hmm. enough perhaps, but I've seen death and most people haven't ever seen it, but there is a magnificence to it. I won't call it beauty because it's, yeah. you know, it's painful, but. Magnificence is such a good word. Yeah, but, it's, but you see it and you think there's something happening. And people I've had on the show who have gone through death and come back for whatever reason, they always describe it in that phrase. It means unimaginably beautiful, which is why I'm trying to find out what mm-hmm. it felt for you because you're so verbal. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like to have you come by if I'm yeah. grieving. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just, uh, just explain to folks what that felt like, yeah. that uh, sense enlightenment or whatever the yeah. phrase is that's best. It is. I don't know. It is magnificence. I don't know if I'm going to do better than that unless you have a thesaurus lying around. But <laughs> it's, I mean, so especially for hospice or wherever you are. Okay. So very rarely will somebody die in like a four poster bed on like a beautiful estate surrounded by like roses and candles like and you will horses. right you will be you will be in some odd mix of your real life and this medical life in our case we were in what used to be my office with a hospital bed in it with um like uh yeah just a hospital bed and all of these weird hospital things around do you side note you can cut this out. Are you like bothered by like how poorly designed like medical things are? Like why is trust the kidney pan like like that light pink plastic? Yeah, it drives me crazy. It's so bad and it Design. all smells bad. And the lighting is bad. It's the lighting is so bad. I was just like everything is so like before Aaron had his 
brain surgery were on this bed that was like an air mattress. And if you shifted, the air shifted with you. Yeah. I was like, we well, didn't sleep is, at all. This classic line is yeah. Oscar Wilde, the, the, mm-hmm. the great 19th century British writer, on his deathbed, look at the wallpaper, which was horrible. And he said, either this wallpaper goes or I go. <laughs> and then he died. <laughs> So, I mean, it's so commonly talked about yeah. that it's become part of our literature. <laughs> but can you imagine say, either this kidney pen, basing goes, or I go. That's honestly right. sounds like my dad. <laughs> like, if it's not going, I'm going. I'm out of here. Like, but my dad had been diagnosed and was uh, with lymphoma. And I mean, I just, it was everywhere. So just, we just say cancer. Yeah. And they, he was in the ICU with pneumonia. They sent him home. They gave him like the hospice talk. And I just remember looking at him and being like, my dad's not going to do any of this. Yeah. And he was, you know, talking all day, hanging out with us all day. And he died that night. And I truly think it was just, he just was good night, flipped off the lights. Uh, adios. Yeah. In his, in his library at home, you know, also our, my parents' house was under renovation. And he was like, I never thought I'd die in a worse house than I lived in when I was 22. <laughs> It's like, sorry, Dad. <laughs> really? Uh, and he was so funny right up until the end. And um, so, okay, we're, where we started, my train of thought is like really, it's going in a couple directions. We're going to bring it back to the I'm station you. for you. I'm with you. Um, so the magnificence of it. So you will be in a situation that is a mix of your real life and a mix of this sort of uh, medical uh infiltration into your normal life if you're in hospice. So maybe you'll be in like a hospice facility and they'll do their best to make it pretty, but you'll be in your house with like these ugly things and you'll be, you know, using some app to try to track when you're supposed to give somebody morphine and a lot of it. You don't know when somebody's on hospice. Will it be six hours like with my dad? Will it be two weeks like with Aaron? Will it be a year? Will it be six? We have no idea. You have no idea. So... You are exhausted. And for me, I was 31. My husband was 35. I know that that is not normal. Like, I know that that's not, like, okay. You're not supposed to be doing that when you're 35. There are things that you have to do for somebody that um, that are a part of your wedding vows. You know, like sickness and health and like until death parts you, like really does mean something. So for me, it was like, do I want to be doing any of this stuff? Yeah, I do. Like who but me should do this? Like who but me should make sure that, like, that when you go, you feel as okay as possible. Like, so there are like those moments where you're doing something that's like traumatic and horrible and that you won't tell anybody else about, um, but also you think like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is who I this is who I am. And I'm this person for you. And I hope that everybody has that. And I know that not everybody does. I think that's what's really I think that um I think that when we're afraid of death, we're mostly afraid that we're afraid for ourselves. And we're afraid that we won't be okay without this person that we love. And a little bit of us is looking at our own lives and thinking, like, is what I'm doing meaningful? Will it matter? Will anyone care after I die? Will anyone do this for me? I think we see ourselves in the sick and the dying, and we are forced to confront our own 
really, our bodies are so weak and dumb. I don't have to tell you that. It's like so, they're so amazing. You're like, oh my gosh, honestly, your heart, you know this, crazy amazing. And also real tricky. Like Aaron's brain grew cancer. That's so stupid. Why would you do that? Stop doing that. <laughs> um, like, like what? He had like this little heart murmur that if apparently um, is really, really deadly for Wolf Parkinson White. You know it? Yes. Yeah, okay. It's an arrhythmia. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, well, for some people, you know, it really bothers them. We didn't even notice you had it till you had cancer. <laughs> like oh there's all these, like, we're just so fragile. Like this, there's this amazing system that keeps us alive. And then also anything could happen. And we're really just like, just grown up babies. Did you speak to, at all when he passed at that moment? Yeah. I remember just telling him like, I mean, the same things that you tell everybody that like, it's okay. And like, we'll be okay. Um, and I recounted like all of our like first dates. I played this playlist that honestly, looking back, I knew he would hate. So I kind of <laughs> feel, I, I, I kind of feel bad about it cause he didn't like my taste in music, but I was like, these songs remind me of like falling in love with you, even though, <laughs> even though you hated them. And I put in some of like, you know, his, he had a playlist too. So I played his playlist. When we come back, more questions with Nora. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. What did you tell your son when he came back from daycare that day? Yeah. 243, you said, Aaron. 243. And he came back at like... Six, maybe. I remember I texted the, oh, the yeah, don't my daycare home. lady, like, might not be a great time. That's, that's, and she saw, like, you know, the... It's an unusual day. Yeah, yeah. And she had known what was happening. And um, Ralph came home. And I think children are amazing. And he knew, like, he knew. 
he walked into our house, you know, with his little hat on. Well, it's his November. father was still, Aaron's still in his bed or is it? Yeah, gone? Aaron's yeah. still there. And, you know, and we went in there and I said, Papa was sick. Like, Papa's body is done. But inside all of us is this light that never goes out. And so Papa's in your heart and he's in the air and he's in the grass. All these things that I would make Aaron say to me and Ralph all the time. Like, will you be the sky? Will you be the grass? And Ralph was 22 months old and... Maybe six months later, we were outside, and he was waving at the sky and saying, my papa's the air. Like, so some part of him, I think, just has internalized that. Now he's five. Ralph's five, a very, very smart five. And he he knows. Like, he knows, like, my dad had brain cancer. Something was growing in my dad's brain. Like, my dad's body died. My dad's body was really sick. You were pregnant. Yeah, had you gotten pregnant on purpose? Yeah, oh, yeah, on purpose. I We did IUI, which I'm, uh, for people who don't know, is like the cheap version of IVF where they just like put sperm in you because IVF is so expensive. We had no money. And I remember going to that meeting and they were like showing us the prices. And I was like, do you have anything like cheap? But, <laughs> like, but isn't it cheaper just to like the old fashioned way, put it in there? Yeah, you can't though if you are radiated and on chemo. So Eric. Yeah. Oh, oh, you'd harvested the sperm. Right, beforehand, because I was like, well, don't you want to have kids? And he was like, yeah, I want to have kids. So he he got to go once. We had barely, we had like two tries to have children. It worked basically both times. And we had a very limited amount of product. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so like, yeah, he was like, ra- you know, radiated. They were like, yeah, you can't have any, no funny business. And uh, so, yeah, I had to do it medically. And we had Ralph, and we wanted Ralph to not be an only child, Brain cancer works, like, slowly until it doesn't. And when I got pregnant the second time, we could tell Aaron wasn't doing great, but he wasn't doing noticeably worse. It didn't—he got MRIs all the time, and it wasn't like it was growing again, but there was something different. Mm -hmm. So, truly, I did get pregnant thinking that it would—I don't know, Magic Baby would keep him alive, or I could just have, like, one other good thing, and— um, and so I lost that baby five days after, five days before my dad died and six weeks before Aaron died. And I just felt like I broke the whole world and like ruined everything, even though, I mean, you know, it's not your fault logically or medically, but it feels like it because it happened in you. So. You feel like Jonah, you sort of curse. Yeah. I mean, everyone God. is though. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then I look at other people and I go, no, that's bad. We have. Uh, we do have a group called the Hot Young Widows Club, and um, you'll hear stories in there, and you're like, oh, no, that one's, yeah, that one's worse. Like, we all are like, oh, no, <laughs> yours is worse. worse. Yeah, yours is worse. And my friend Mo, oh, like, terrible. like, yeah, oh, no, 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 that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, I'll take mine. And I think. Do you guys get together frequently? We do, yeah. There's, oh, we have meetups God. all over the world now. Like, we have, we have widows everywhere, men, women, like, gay, straight people. Turns out people are dying all the time and leaving, <laughs> behind, leaving behind. Go figure. Leaving behind loved ones. It's just, this club <laughs> keeps growing. Um, best club you'll never want to join. Yes, we have t-shirts. So, I'm pretty pretty into them. Yeah. I want you to read this letter, if you don't mind. Yeah. It's, a, it's a response you gave. Actually, you describe it. It's okay, a, it's a, look. <laughs> part of, also, part of grief is anger. And uh, pettiness, if that's okay. Like, just, I think that's just a common thing. You don't want to be angry because you know it's unappealing. (laughs) I was checking Aaron's email just to make sure I wasn't missing anything important, which I I missed, like, one important thing, um, which was, like, one bill that went into collections for, like, $35. (laughs) I was like, 
Gosh. And they literally don't care if you call and you're like, he's dead. They're like, we'll need that $35. I'm like, well, you'll get it, but you'll also get an earful. So um, Aaron was a designer. He was a graphic designer. He was so talented. And he, um, in his email, one day he got a he got an email. He got an email. It wasn't, it's like, it was an email from, it wasn't just a bot. It was like from an actual person who was recruiting him for for a position and wanted to know if he was available. Like, just a quick Google search, by the way, would reveal that not only had he died, but he had written an award-winning viral obituary before he died. So I was just irritated. A lot of other things were happening. And I wrote the following. Dear Francine, not her real name. Names changed to protect the innocent. (laughs) Dear Francine, thank you so much for reaching out to my husband for the senior art director position on December 8th. Aaron is more than qualified for this position and would be a great candidate for your client. Quick question, does this position require the candidate to be alive? I only ask because he's been dead for several weeks, but I don't want that small detail to overshadow his many qualifications and take him out of consideration for the job. So I, <laughs> Did she write back? No. I just probably I ruined her day. She probably just went home and cried. And I'm sorry. Well, listen, I, I, mean, I like, watched some of your stuff and uh, listened to the podcast, obviously. Uh, I didn't know what to expect, but I mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed meeting you. And I think my, and I, I started my career doing mechanical heart pumps. Mm-hmm. And these, you know, in the beginning, they had a 50-50 chance of, of making yeah. the patients. So I ended up quite frequently having to deal with the grief uh, not as closely linked to the patients as you obviously were to Aaron or, your, or everybody else, frankly, <laughs> your dad, your, your child you lost. But um, I, I remember frequently reminding people that they had been blessed with gifts that others hadn't had. The, yeah. the, the first 35 years of their life with someone that they would never see again, but at least they had those 35 years. And there are so many stories that I ran into along those lines that when people came back to me, but the most compelling of all, I'll tell you with you, just end this podcast. There was a uh, um, a gentleman who needed bypass surgery, and he came in and he was obviously despondent. And it's bad news to need you, to know you need heart surgery, but it was more than that. And I kept on trying to get him a little bit more cheerful about the whole process, at least at least energetic, energized to survive the darn operation. And finally, his wife started crying. Now, this is really bizarre. And I'm trying to piece the pieces, put the pieces together of this of this puzzle. And she said, "My our son was David." most charming 16-year-old you'd ever imagine. He was murdered. Actually, case of mistaken identity in a parade. The gang thought he was a member of a rival gang and killed an innocent kid. And we've not been able to pull our life together. And my husband doesn't care if he's going to live or die. He you know, really completely ambivalent about it. And I said, well, I can't operate on you. I can't do open-heart surgery if you're not really into it. That doesn't work yeah. that way. <laughs> right? You sort of have to want to get through it. And, uh, and then I was sort of, speechless, which is a rare for me. I didn't really know what to tell him to get him psyched up mm-hmm. for surgery. Now, do it for your wife. Yeah. Come on, get, you know, not, yeah. you know, get past it. None of that works. Mm-hmm. They'd actually already had those conversations. So I said, you know, I'll, I'll hear something somewhere that will maybe be helpful to you. I'll keep my ears open, but we're not doing anything right now. It's put mm-hmm. on hold. Same day, guy comes in. Similar age, needs the exact same operation. And uh, I, you know, I see. Listen, you got to get ready for the operation. He goes, "Oh, I'm, I'm here, doc. I'm ready." He says, "Well, I know, but you, I mean, he says, stop telling. You know, I don't need all the details. I don't need a pep talk. I am ready. I will survive." And I said, "Why are you so confident?" He said, "I've got a 16 year old child at home who's profoundly developmentally delayed. I have to change his diapers. If something happens to me, I won't be there for him." And that was my clue, because 
as crazy as it might sound, the first child had been with his dad for 16 years. That father, I'm a dad, had made plans with his son for the rest of his life. He had had catch with, you know, with them. He'd done things that, they were, that fathers do with sons that would bring him pleasure. And he'd never be able to do the things you do with a 25-year-old boy, but he did all the things you could do up to 16 years mm-hmm. of age. And that second father never had any of that. Yeah. Never had any of that bliss. And I told the first father that story, and it was enough to get him through the procedure. I actually operated on them a similar time. Oh, wow. And uh, I never forget the fact that we often, and you mentioned it earlier in your discussion, uh, overlook those subtleties. Mm-hmm. The, bliss, the bliss we have, that's why love hurts so much. Yeah. Because yeah. it does always end. At some it does. Point. It does. But a pleasure. Nora. Thank you. Thank you Nora for having Mac me. Ernie. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful job. Check out our podcast. It's, it's brilliant and beautiful as she is. Uh, and uh, you can go to the Young Widows Club if you want to. Uh, do they, you don't take outsiders though, right? We don't take, we don't take, we don't take looky-loos. We require a death certificate. I'm not kidding. Because every once in a while you get a weirdo. All right. <laughs> Terrible. Thanks for asking me for a podcast. Book's called It's Okay to Laugh. Crying's cool too. Thank you. diets and weight loss struggles it's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results introducing smart metabolic burn from brain md your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat imagine burning fat balancing glucose levels and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks this unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula berberine which targets abdominal fat and oea which curbs your appetite with just two capsules a day Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.